Leon became Leon not because of his wrestling, but because of his stories. This is why no one ever believed a word of what he said. It didn't really matter, though, because there was no stopping him once he started reminiscing about a wrestler from the good old days. With over 40 years in the squared circle, he commanded at least that much respect from his pupils-slash-colleagues, even if they took literally every word with a boulder of salt. And the bottom line was that our school was so small that unless you wanted to stretch or cool down in the cramped locker rooms, you pretty much had to give him an audience. He started this session by giving Angel some advice on his match pacing. Angel had been having issues getting to all of his best spots within his time limits. He was a talented performer, no doubt, but with his background in dancing, gymnastics, and as a national CrossFit competitor, he simply had too many moves to fit in the five-minute matches he was currently booking at the school's weekly show. He, of course, did not have to be told that one never knew what promoter or executive would be in the audience, especially in the belly of the beast here in Florida, even at a tiny school like ours. Even the good lord can't help the guy who underdelivers and leaves even a little bit in the tank. Anyway, Leon had been working with him today on full match timing and how exactly to pick his spots based on the stipulations, the match placement within the card, and of course, with the opponent. This is what led him into the story of California Cow. Leon told Angel that he certainly was not the first wrestler to run into this issue, and this definitely wasn't the worst case he had seen, not by a long shot. He then mentioned that he had been traveling the indie circuit back in 75 with a kid out of Iowa who went by the name of California Cal. This kid was a lot like Angel, in fact. He was a little undersized, natural athlete, and as strong as an ox on anabolics. And it should go without saying that he had the best in-ring endurance he had ever seen. Where Cal hit a brick wall in his development was with his in-ring decision-making. Wrestling is obviously an improv-heavy discipline and one that requires lightning-quick choices to tell a story within the breakneck pace of your typical match. California Cal struggled in this aspect of the sport because he was a chronic second-guesser. The kid couldn't make a decision to save his or his opponent's life, and the problem was only exacerbated by the fact that he was so talented he could do anything he wanted in that damn ring at almost any time. He was a high-flyer, risk-taker, ground game and hardcore weapons specialist that Leon said even one time lifted an entire tag team passing 600 pounds over his head. Remember, boulder of salt. By this point in the story, a crowd had gathered in the gym and Leon had an audience of a dozen or so of the best up-and-coming wrestlers in the state hanging on his every word. He continued by first saying that the fact that no one in the room had heard of this particular should-have-been legend was all directly a result of his unabating indecisiveness. By all means, this young man should have been making non-sequitur cameos on current episodes of Monday Night Raw with the likes of Hulk Hogan, Ron Simmons, and Ric Flair. But his damn waffling cost him everything. The match where all of Cal's issues came to a boil happened one particular night not too far from here in Kissimmee, when Cal's promoter had been kind enough to give him eight minutes with Lonnie Jameson to open up the event. Of course, at this time, Lonnie was being touted as the hottest property east of Atlanta, with his days of performing in front of crowds under 50 being very much on their last legs. Just like that, and with only 20 minutes before the bell, Cal had been booked for the biggest and longest match of his life. He was so scared he couldn't even bring himself to approach Lonnie and talk a little about the game plan. And it only got worse when Lonnie himself ended up strolling over to him, cool as a cucumber, and asked him if he was the high flyer. Without clarifying that although he did perform high-flying moves with a high level of success, he was more versatile than being just a high-flyer. Cal simply nodded instead. Lonnie then added that he'd do him a big favor if he just gave a little tug on the ear to let him know when he was going for his big move off the top ropes, so he could know to roll out of it at the very last second. But before Cal could respond, Lonnie sauntered back to his private corner of the green room, placed in his earplugs, and got into lotus position to begin the ritual pre-match meditation. 
It was crucial to remember that California Cal was a guppy in a gator pit at this point in his career. And as you might imagine, he didn't have the confidence to ask for help from the seasoned veterans on that show, some of which included Ramstone, Lisa Loco, and even a young warlord. So all Cal could do was retreat into his own space in the back and contemplate what he was going to do. In hindsight, this was a horrible idea because it just gave him time and opportunity to overthink himself into a state of pure paralysis. With time ticking away, he ran down a mental checklist of his finishers. For high-flying match enders, he had the Super Swanton, which Lonnie was likely referring to since that was his most common, the Malibu Mosca, the Snap Crackle Pow, and his new favorite, the Tidal Tadpole, a variation of the Frog Splash where he was able to launch himself up stiff as a board and split into a frog at the absolute last second. He also had several different finishers that splintered from the first part of this jump, all of which made the unpredictability that much higher and the move that much more must-see. When it came to power finishers, he had the Electric Exorcism, the Porcelain Punisher, the BG, stood for Brutal Guillotine and was slowly on its way out just like Disco at the time, and a new one from which he had been getting really good reactions, the Dodger. His opponents almost always asked for his technique because it was just so athletic and theatrical that there was no way it didn't pop. An added bonus was that it could easily be fixed so that the opponent who missed Cal would launch into the audience, which as we all know is the fastest way to getting over and emptying your stash of merch after the show. Finally, for submissions, he had the Arm Cruncher, the California Roll, and the Ace of Spades. And the Hollywood Twist, but he almost always botched it, and when he did hit it, he had twice popped someone's shoulder out, so he was reluctant to bring that one out, unless it was to immediately end the match. Cal had been having a lot of success lately with timing his short matches, where he was able to get some Irish whips in, take a few body slams, then break up one of his partner's finishers, and hit one of his own for the pinfall. This formula was a winner in his eyes, and part of him wished every match could just follow that script. But he knew his vocation was a capricious one, and that repetition would never fly. And now, of course, here he was, opening the biggest event in the greater Orlando Kissimmee area for that Thursday night with jack shit of an idea of how to put on a show for eight long minutes and for the 30, maybe even 40 people in the audience. With his back against the wall and only 12 short minutes until he was on, Cal did what he did best in situations of high stress like these, which were so damn common in the world of professional wrestling. He took a 10-minute nap. He awoke when the promoter gave him a nudge with his two-minute warning and also informed him that his Beach Boys entrance music tape had been misplaced and they would have to just bring him into whatever he chose from this Rick D's top hits tape they had in case of such a scenario. Very wisely, he told the promoter to just pick something he thought would work and went into his routine of clasping on his puka shell necklace, hiking up his board shorts, and adding the excessive baby oil to his freshly waxed body. Show was on. In his defense, he did try for one last moment to reach out to Lonnie and just get at least an idea of what he was going to start with, but the featured performer was nowhere to be found. Before he could even go through his list of finishers one more time, he was being rushed to the entrance and he heard the first notes and quacks of Disco Duck start to spin. Even though there were no women in the audience, the announcer bellowed, Ladies and gentlemen, the following is a match scheduled for one fall, entering the ring, weighing in at 210 pounds, hailing from the other Hollywood, which cued the massive booze. Yes, all the way from Southern California, he's the surfing bird of the Southland, the wild one from the West, Hollywood's heralded Hellcat, the California Kid! Cal had no time to be amazed at how the announcer had literally made up all those nicknames on the spot. He definitely didn't tell him to say that. 
and he surely didn't have enough presence of mind to notice that he got his actual ring name wrong. No, sir, the match was officially on. He had to skip onto the pathway and apparently play the role of the heel. Walking with his chest out and waving off the fans' booze, while he yelled out how filthy Florida was and how he couldn't wait to get out of this backwater swamp back to his glitzy beach house, take his TV star girlfriend cruising down PCH in his candy apple red Corvette. When he made it to the ring, he jumped in straight through the ropes and ran from end to end, making sure to hit all four sides of the square. He then jumped from the mat right to the top rope and shocked the crowd as he maintained perfect balance before flipping backward off them into a perfect landing. Now, the other big thing here was that, fortunately, Cal had no idea that a young cat named Percy Benzanita was in that very crowd, and that backflip at damn well got his attention. Percy was a flashy promoter that had been king of the Northeast hardcore scene, even though he did have a soft spot for high flyers. But the big thing was that he had just been brought in by WWF to start some talk about him entering the company as a consultant and potentially a producer. In fact, one of his early tasks, rumored to have come from Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself, was to head down to Central Florida and scout some talent. This was his first event in that capacity, and Cal was the first cat to cross his eyes. Right away, the AV guy cut Cal's music, and out came the signature hissing of Lonnie Jameson's fog machine. The music began to slowly rise up against the deafening cheers from the crowd. Before Lonnie stepped out in his rainbow boa and mirrored aviators, the announcer began. Now, no, making his way to the ring, he is a former Kiss Me Extreme, Extreme Champion, champion. two-time two East Beach Faction Tag Team Champion, and the, the only, only man in history to be... Here's where the audience always joined in the echoing. As smooth as Simon Silk, and as rough as Rusted Razor Blades, all the way from the ice-cold streets of Detroit, Michigan, please welcome to the ring, Lonnie Jameson! Lonnie took his time, shaking hands with various members of the crowd, even asking some of them how their mothers were doing, which only worried Cal more because it was eating into his very limited match time. Despite his opponent's concern, Lonnie continued to mosey onto the ring, climb each step with efforted delay, and finally, after removing his dozen or so accessories, made the final rounds waving to fans at all sides of the ring. Lonnie then tossed his glasses and bow into the crowd, and just like that, the bell rang, the match was on. Cal got the story started by reaching out his hand for a friendly shake, and then quickly pulling it back when Lonnie obliged, finishing it off with a cool slick of his hair. The effort went over perfectly as the crowd began to boo even louder than when he entered. Cal finished the bit by pandering to the crowd's jeers and then high-kicking backwards right into the jaw of the babyface. He then repeated his signature hop to the top ropes and mimicked riding them like a surfboard while Lonnie writhed on the ground. Lonnie milked the pity just long enough, then kipped up, back to his fighting stance and grabbed Cal from behind in a headlock, where he whispered to him, give me a heads up next time, kid, before tossing him into the corner. He then ran and gave him a powerful knee to the gut, which brought Cal onto his butt and caused the crowd to erupt in cheers. This traditional back and forth continued for another few minutes, which allowed Lonnie to dictate his pace and Cal to use some of his lighter signature moves. Sadly, not the Dodger, though. As the match reached its climax, Cal let Lonnie Irish whip into the ropes, and then Lonnie let Cal reverse the move and lay him out with a big clothesline. Both lied on the mat for an extended beat as Cal crawled over with an earshot of the veteran and was told to go for his finisher now. Lonnie would skirt it and then roll him up in the corkscrew. The command was clear enough, and Cal was definitely outranked when it came to a matter like this, but if he was honest with himself, he didn't want to see his big finale missed. He had finally decided to use the title tadpole, and that was his ticket to the big time. He thought for a quick second that maybe you could ask Lonnie to instead let him hit the double T 
But he quickly realized that would be much worse because Lonnie was booked to win. And if Cal's finisher didn't finish, it would make him look very weak and hurt his prospects for indie work in the area for years to come. As he continued to overthink the situation, Lonnie began to chastise him under his breath to get his ass up on the ropes and end this thing. More afraid than anything, he went ahead and did as he was told. Rose up to the top rope, once more stirring up the crowd. Went ahead and stood up tall, began rubbing his hands together, savoring his defenseless prey. Then he tucked his appendages close to his trunk, dipped, and dove straight into the air. And at the absolute last possible second, completely shifted momentum and changed it into a shooting star press. The unpredictability of the tadpole was really special. He completed his move right into the hard surface of the mat as Lonnie ducked it majestically. The crowd roared once more and Lonnie quickly wrapped one arm around Cal's neck while placing the other hand on his chin. He then locked both legs around Cal's right thigh and began twisting. Now, normally the corkscrew elicits an immediate tap out, so when Lonnie's hamstring started cramping, he was concerned. He discreetly told Cal to tap out, but Cal responded that he was thinking maybe, if possible, he could hit at least one more finisher before this runs out. The match wasn't a great ending for him and, you know... This is a sport that shared many qualities with the tango, and that meant it would drag down Lonnie's elite standard of performance as well. Naturally, Lonnie only pulled harder to communicate his disapproval, and that's when they say the wheels fell off. Cal rolled out of the corkscrew, inadvertently making him the first in history of pro wrestling to do that. It happened so fast that Lonnie almost didn't realize it had been broken. The confirmation only came when he took note of the deafening silence in the arena. Needless to say, Cal had made his impression... Hotshot promoter Percy Benzanita had even removed his own sunglasses to verify what had just happened. Lonnie looked over at Cal and waited for an explanation, but Cal instead ran over and gave him a quick shot to the head, and Lonnie had no choice but to sell it. Cal followed it up with an elbow drop, then once more tried to get a reaction out of the crowd, but most were too shocked to utter a word. Lonnie took a very quick beat on the ground before getting right back up and hitting his opponent with a textbook backbreaker which he made sure to hold for longer than necessary while Cal's spine was in its most extended position. All while he once more whispered that he needed to lie down and take the three count that was to follow this next move. As Cal lied on the ground with his back throbbing, Lonnie got the crowd back into the match with his showmanship, started talking up to the finish. Much to Lonnie's chagrin, Cal then worked his way to his feet and actually had the balls to interrupt Lonnie, yelling at him to stop talking and start wrestling. Lonnie smirked and turned to the young grappler before breaking character to flip him off with both hands, which brought about the biggest pop of the night. Cal slapped away the offensive gesture and they both locked up. This time, Lonnie got the upper hand and flipped Cal into a brutal DDT onto the mat with an especially lax concern for the positioning of the young man's head. Lonnie wasted no time in getting to the top rope and whirling his arms around in the summoning of his classic Michigan mixer. He launched off the top ropes and after completing his dazzling gymnastic flip, he landed knees first onto Cal's already aching back. As the crowd went berserk, Lonnie rolled Cal over and fell on him for the pin. The ref slid over to the scene and began counting. One, two, and then Cal kicked out. This back and forth went on for, if you can believe it, another five hours and change. Once again, boulder of salt. Back when the match had double its allotted time, the promoter himself went out to the ring to see this nonsense firsthand. This is when he saw Percy was in attendance. And not only that, he was enthralled. Now, every man has his own agenda, and this promoter just happened to be getting the hell out of Florida and into the Boston and Philadelphia markets. Of course, Percy was just the man to talk to about this, and in combination with this particular circumstance, the crowd was actually eating all this nonsense up. 
so the promoter decided to just let it run a little longer. After the match passed its first hour, he had begun to question this decision. However, like we've all done at one point or another, he grew attached to the logic that it was just too late to stop cold now, and with every passing minute, he only grew more stubborn in letting it go on. You definitely have to trust Leon on this one, but he said that even the performers on the card weren't upset. Sure, some had driven hours for the show, and although they were all still getting paid, they surely wanted to perform and perhaps even gain some new fans. Now, had they known Percy was in the audience and they were essentially gifted a WWF tryout, that would have been another story. By the two-hour mark, all the wrestlers had migrated from backstage to front of house to observe the calamity, opting to sit in their steel chairs instead of swinging them at each other. Lonnie was irate at this point and was in no mood for any more games. He had planned to take out a former Miss Tennessee that very night, and he figured his plan was officially kaput when Cal kicked out for the 16th time. After realizing he was officially out of date with a woman whose hobbies included yoga, salsa dancing, and skinny dipping, all bets were off, and he was determined to show no mercy whatsoever. In all honesty, the match had lost its entertainment focus by this point and pretty much was just a very ornate street fight. Lonnie was regularly landing elbows right onto Cal's cheekbones and speeding his high kicks right into the sternum, all while Cal continued to play his in-ring role, desperately trying to decide on some way, anyway, to end this goddamn match. Much like his promoter, the increased time was only working against him in a sunk cost sort of way. How could he end a match that went on for this long in any other way than one that would be remembered for decades to come? Cal was committed to his goal of ending this match perfectly. Even though after hours of intensive labor, he was no closer to deciding what that would be. He continued bouncing off the ropes and playing up his dickhead character with the same intensity as he had over three hours ago. Of course, he was probably doing this on dozens of sprains and lacerations, which made it impossible to execute any of his top finishers. Perhaps he didn't realize this, but he was just surviving at this point, and it was not impressive to Percy, who finally exited soon after this point, or anyone else in the slightest. They were more just flabbergasted at the audacity. What do they call it? A train wreck or a car crash? Once the fifth hour came around, California Cal could barely stand, and Lonnie was not much better. He was just straight up punching Cal right in the nose now, breaking teeth and spilling bits of flesh all over the ring. He grabbed Cal's head and ran him into the turnbuckle, which finally brought him to his belly. Lonnie then proceeded to kick him in the ribs with as much force as he could muster. The only thing that stopped him was when he noticed Cal had gone completely limp. It was right around this time that the promoter re-entered the arena, pissed as hell since he didn't succeed in getting Percy to even take his wilted business card. He had planned to immediately end the match and the show, either by storming the ring or getting someone to run in with a chair and end it by disqualification. However, when he saw that Cal was unconscious, he paused and waited for Lonnie to drag his broken body over to end it with a pinfall. He figured if it ended in this traditional way, he could at least spin it as if that was the plan from the start. The crowd was still there and still cheering after all. Lonnie made his way over to Cal, but with all of his accrued injuries, he found it all but impossible to flip him over. He had to get back to his feet and grab an arm before pseudo-deadlifting him onto his side, then just pulling him the rest of the way. He stumbled over what he could only assume was a dead body at this point and dropped a knee onto him, waving the ref over to start the count. Lonnie ordered him to hurry as the ref went in and did his best to speed count. Lonnie broke into tears when Cal's eyes opened after the ref yelled one, and sure as it was, he had just enough vitality left in him to kick out at two. The veteran shamelessly wept into his hands, mixing his falling tears with the blood and pulp that surely made this ring mat a one-time only use. The crowd fell silent once more, 
which made it all the more disturbing when he screamed primally into the sky. This was a man who had truly given everything and left it all in the ring. The former champion and touted next big thing got back to his feet and let out one more roar. Lonnie went over to Cal and before anyone could realize what he was doing, he brought his heel down right onto the orbital socket of that spunky kid from Iowa. Sure as shit, he just kept stomping California cows to mush, ending both of their careers right then and there, and making for damn sure that the promoter scheduled every single match, even the title fights, with strict stipulation time limits from that point forward. Leon stopped for a moment out of respect to the memory. It was safe to say that when he started this story, no one was expecting this to be how it ended. Leon was never one to give a story a moral, but for all intents and purposes, this one was self-apparent, so no epilogue was necessary. He only added that Lonnie had received a lighter sentence under the circumstances, but he unfortunately left wrestling behind after that calamity, making the match the in-ring finale for both of them. Leon claimed he was running a cash-checking chain somewhere out in Fort Worth right now, probably finding peace closer every day. As for California Cal, he wouldn't be remembered by most, but if Leon could do anything about it, he'd like to keep that memory as alive as it was on that crazy day. He claimed that the world really missed out on some great in-ring work because of Cal's proclivity towards indecision. Who knows where these superstars would have ended up if they'd been able to work it out. And, because Leon was nothing like Cal, he ended his story as simply as effectively as asking if anyone wanted to grab a beer at the den. We all nodded, and life went on. That was California Cow, written, produced, and performed by me, Josh Ramirez. Make sure you check out my Wattpad and follow my channel so you can catch the next reading. Thanks for listening.